2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's just read the last few verses of uh, the chapter, starting in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Back about uh, just a few years ago, some of you might remember this, October 30th, 1938. Some of y'all around then? People around the country got home that night, maybe from their evening service, and tuned in to the Mercury Theater radio program. They heard a chilling series of news bulletins which suggested that an actual alien invasion was taking place around the world right then. Their illusion of realism was furthered because a lot of people would start out at that particular time listening to the Edgar Bergen show and during a commercial break would switch over to the Mercury Theater radio program and they didn't hear the little announcement at the beginning, this is a drama, this is only a drama, whatever the announcements were. And they turn over and it sounded very much like real news. And people were alarmed. They thought aliens were invading the world. It was the classic war of the worlds. And in the days following that, there were reports of widespread outrage, especially from people in the media and from uh, public figures against the perpetrators of this fake news. Back then, even the media was against fake news. Can you believe that? We're still fascinated by these apocalyptic stories. They capture our imagination. In fact, if you look at some of the most popular movies, uh, even just a few weeks ago, we had one of the Planet of the Apes movies came back out, and you have all these ongoing stories that describe the end of the world, and we're fascinated by it, these apocalyptic tales. Some describe it by natural disaster, whether it's an asteroid or a megastorm. I think there's one about to come out that describes that. There's man-made disasters like global warming and nuclear war, which seems more real than we've ever imagined. Then, of course, there's the alien disasters like War War of the Worlds and so on. In the early church, Paul was writing to the Thessalonians to calm their fears. In fact, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, he keeps addressing this idea of what's going to happen at the end of the world and how to be prepared for it, and that it hasn't happened yet. Because some of them were saying, if you go back earlier in chapter 2, he says, look, make sure that when you pay attention to my epistles, that they're really my epistles, that they're really my word, that they're really the word of the Lord, because there's some people that are scaring you right now saying, hey... You've missed it. The Lord's come back and he left you behind. Um, when I, my first year at Cramerton, we went on a school retreat and Ron Davis was our guest preacher and we were at this place where people were divided up in houses. All the seniors were in one house and uh, Brother Ron and I were in there with them and it seems like one night after the service, we all got back a little earlier than everybody else and the half of us that got back thought, let's pay a trick, play a trick on the people who aren't here yet. So we took all our clothes and stacked them and 
strategic places like we were playing ping pong, sitting watching TV, doing all these things, shoes, all this stuff. And then we went outside and looked through the windows to see what happened when they came back and thought that we had been raptured. I don't know why we think that if we're raptured, our clothes are staying behind. But I don't know. We thought that. And so I remember us going out, looking into the windows to see uh, what they thought. Oh, they're going to be freaked out. They just came in, looked around, gathered all our clothes, stuffed them in the freezer, and then locked us out of the house. And for the next three hours, we played this game of back and forth trying for us to get back in. We play those games. We, we do those things. But they literally, some of them were afraid. They were scared, just like those people who heard the radio program, the end of the world is here. The aliens are invading. These people were very afraid. Paul writes to allay their fears, to help them understand what's going on. And then he equips them. Paul always is in the equipping mode. He teaches great theology, and then he applies it. And he says, look, this is something you can hang on to. This is something you can build your life on. And I feel like that's what he says right here in verse 13. When he says, I'm giving thanks for you, it's like I'm giving thanks for you, but I'm actually commending you and telling you what you need and what you need to stand strong in. And so I'm calling it his, Paul's end-time survival kit. It's the idea that, that he has putting together and put together and laid out the plan for you to survive the end of the world. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for the end of the world? Because one day, the reports will be true. One day, the Lord will come back and we will face Him. The end is near. Are you ready? Well, let's look at what Paul has to say. See if we can learn something from it this morning. First of all, he says... If you're going to be ready for Christ's return, the real return of Christ, which could happen at any moment, you need to rely on the saving work of Christ. Rely on the saving work of Christ. He says, but we're bound to give thanks to you all way to God. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way you know you're going to be ready for that day, the way you know you're going to be ready for the day the Lord comes back or the day you stand before the Lord, is to know that you are only trusting Christ for your salvation. There's no other way of salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You're not going to stand before God one day and, and put up all your good works. You're not going to stand up before God and show Him your membership card to Faith Free Will Baptist Church. All that's going to matter in that day is are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? The end will come. The end is coming. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but we look at it today. I mean, things are pretty alarming, aren't they? Uh, we don't know what's going on with North Korea. And the tensions seem to be escalating and their ability to get a nuclear warhead closer and closer to us seems to be getting much more reality. And we know we're surrounded. They're not the only enemies we have in the world. There's people who would love, who are just maniacal enough to blow up the world. And that scares us. We're concerned about that. And we see wars and rumors of war. And we say peace, but there is no peace. And we see the signs of the times. The end is near. But look. We've been saying the end is near for years. I remember when I was a kid sitting in these pews, I mean, preacher after preacher after preacher said, I believe it could happen today. And I believe they believed that they, it could happen today. And here we are 20, 30 years later, it still hasn't happened. It could happen today, but let me tell you what is going to happen. The Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die. There's this crazy statistic that we can't avoid. 
this statistic that it's the mortality rate in the world. It's hovering somewhere right around 100%. Still, we've done everything we can to delay it, to extend it, but it still comes. And when the end comes for you, after this, the judgment. The judgment. And the only thing that will matter at that point is were you trusting Christ as your Savior? Here's what some of us trust. We have this idea of the the big scales. You, You see the big scales. And over here, I'm piling up all my good works because over here are all my bad works. All the things I've done wrong and I've said lies and I've cheated and I've stolen and I've thought things I shouldn't think. And you know what? I can't get around the fact that I've done some bad things. I've done some bad things. You've done some bad things. So here's how I'm going to fix that. Here's where I'm going to put my hope and faith. I'm going to build up my good works, and I'm going to be the most faithful member of faith church that they've ever had, and I'm going to sing in the choir, and I'm going to give more than anybody gave. And you're not doing that for the glory of God. If you're not doing it for the glory of God, all you're trying to do is build up your righteous scales. But here's the problem we have with that. Our righteousness compared to Christ compared to God's righteousness, he calls it filthy rags. It, it doesn't match up. It's all burnt up one day. And it's good, and man, I don't know, I get this idea, when we stand there before God, we know that all our hope is that we're wearing the robes of Christ's righteousness. And some of us are over here piling up, trying to build up or buy up robes of self-righteousness. And can I tell you, friend, it's not going to work. Don't put your trust in your works. Don't put your trust in your good deeds as if you're buying good favor. Yeah, that'll buy good favor with man. You could become a stellar member of faith church with good works. That's just the way it works. Because man looketh on the outward appearance. That's, that's all we have. When he says that, he's not saying that's bad. He's just saying that's all we have. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. But God looketh on the heart. And one day your heart will be laid bare before God. By the way, it already is. And our good works won't work. Maybe you think, maybe you're still in the boat that you think, hey, I don't need good works because I'm inherently good. There's goodness in all of us. The light, the divine spark that's in all of us. But then we have this scripture, it's hard to get around, says there's none righteous, no, not one. Maybe you're trusting in your religious activity or any other religion. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way, and that's through Christ. There's only one hope, and that's for us to rely on the saving work of Christ. Are you relying on the saving work of Christ? Now, let me just address something very briefly here. It's, it uses a word that kind of scares us a little bit. It says the word chosen, um, that you were chosen And I believe that we were chosen because the Bible teaches we were chosen. The Bible teaches we're called the elect. What does that mean? Well, one place the Bible says elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I believe that God chose everything that has to do with salvation. God laid out the plan of salvation. We don't make up our own way to God. God has decreed how we get saved, who can get saved, who will be saved. And he's decreed that who will be saved are every person, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's what God has decreed. And so when it says he's chosen, Brother Dan preached our homecoming a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, his passage referenced this, and he, he touched on it, and he said this. I've heard him say it before, um, that when we 
uh, it wasn't original with him, but when we get to heaven, you're going to see the door of salvation on our side says, whosoever will, and when you walk through the door, you look on the other side, it's going to say, elect of God. We can't explain that. I'm not going to get my head around it, but here's what I do know. The Bible repeatedly says that Christ died for all, that whosoever will may come, and so don't blame God if you don't accept Christ as your Savior. He's made every provision for your salvation, and it's through the sanctification of the Spirit, it's through your belief of the truth, he says, and it's through responding to the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus died for your sins. So it corrects that idea. Also corrects the idea that you must die without sin to get to heaven. Um, there's unfortunately some who believe that, who believe that what, how we stay saved is that we don't sin. And when we sin, we've got to get forgiveness. Or if we die in our sin, we're not ready. What he says, the way you get ready is not by stopping sinning. You didn't get saved because you stopped sinning. Now, by the way, when you get saved, your sin numbers kind of go down, I hope. That's called sanctification. You know, it kind of should be on this gradual decrease. Maybe a big jump when you got saved, and then maybe you make some big leaps. But you look back 10, 20 years in your life, you should be seeing sanctification, more holiness. Of course, that's our desire. That's absolutely the desire that God puts into every believer. And that's his goal and intent, to make you conform to the image of his dear son. But you don't get saved by stopping sinning. You don't stay saved by keeping from sin. You stay saved. You get saved. Salvation is faith and trust in Christ. Rely on the saving work of Christ. And let me tell you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior today, and the Lord comes back today, or you go out of here and you meet your Maker, the only thing that's going to matter at that point is that you trusting, you are trusting Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you, Christian, let me tell you, church member, let me tell you, long-time church member, the only thing that's going to matter when you stand before God, the only thing, is that you are trusting Christ as your Savior. Rely on the saving work of Christ. Then he goes on. Let's build on that. That is the foundation. You can't get around that. None of this other stuff matters until you've got that. It's really not so much a kit where you just pick which one. It really builds on each other. And it starts with salvation, but then it continues and it grows deeper by the second point, which is hold fast to the teaching. Hold fast to the teachings. Now look what he says. Now in the King James, it translates that word a little different. So let me explain. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now let's clarify what he means by traditions. We're a traditional church. I say that collectively. Because I'm, I'm out of faith church, we're somewhat traditional. Cramerton Church is somewhat what we, in our day and age, 2017, call traditional church. But that's not what Paul's talking about right here. And I appreciate what uh, your pastor said just a little bit ago about what we must hold on to. What we must hold on to are the core values and the core teaching and the core mission of Christ. And that's what's important. That doesn't mean we're going to do away with all our man-made traditions. Man-made traditions aren't necessarily evil. They help us, but we must keep them in proper perspective. When he says traditions, we think cultural traditions, religious traditions, social traditions. But that's not what Paul's talking about. We have traditions, and they have meaning. And so please understand, I, when I've said the same thing to my church, and I mean it. We're, I'm not 
here to bust up all our traditions, but I am here to press us into why we do what we do and to make sure that we're continuing to hold on to things that are furthering the gospel of Christ and fulfilling the mission of Christ. Let me give you an example. I don't know. I'm treading on dangerous ground here, brother, and so I'm about to go in the deep end of the pool. No, hopefully we're all fine because we're all mature enough to understand this. For instance, we have a pulpit, you have a pulpit. Pulpits are neat. Pulpits are great. You know why pulpits came about? You know why pulpits got moved to the center of the stage? Used to, uh, back like in the uh, Reformation, we're about to to celebrate the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. Martin Luther, 95 thesis on the wall and all that kind of stuff. Back then, the pulpits were off to the stage. When they moved them to the center, it was for a specific purpose. Because it declared that the Word of God was central to what they did as a church. And that's, a, that's pretty good. That's great. Does that mean that church that you see or that person you see that doesn't even have a pulpit? No, I understand they're doing other things, but let's understand what it's here. What, the reason, here, let me tell you the reason we, or I'm trying to say the negative, can't get it out of my mouth here. Um, one reason we don't have, no, a, not a reason, it's not a reason that we have the pulpit. How about that? is because Paul said in 2 Timothy, preach the word from the pulpit. (laughs) Be instant in season, out of season, from the pulpit. No, I mean, the pulpit's not a biblical mandate. It's a tradition. It's a good tradition. We still hold to that tradition, but let's understand what the tradition's about. Let's understand there's a difference between tradition and the word of God. And what Paul's saying here, so when you come to your pastor, you come to me and say, you're going to rebuke me on what I'm saying here. Don't quote this verse and say, wait a minute, Paul said we must hold to the traditions. No, because what he's saying, if you'll read what he says here in the context, let's understand what we must hold to. What is a non-negotiable? Because here's the thing, if everything's non-negotiable, everything becomes negotiable. It gets really murky. But let's be defined and understand that there are some non-negotiables that we will never compromise on as a church, as a movement, as a believer in Christ. And he says, you better hold fast. You better stand. You better hold on to some things. And here's what you better hold on to. The traditions that were passed down to you by our word or by our epistle. What he's talking about is the prophetic word of God, the revealed word of God. That's what's really important. In fact, the word there means things handed down by word or letter. We're talking about divine revelation here. We're talking about what really matters. Like in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, Old Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Man, what a balance we have to navigate where we don't just throw out all the wonderful traditions that we have, but that we don't preach them like they are the word of God. And that we don't hold them in our heart like they're the word of God. I think it's the same thing on that first point when we're saying so many of us end up mixing in our works as our security for salvation. As if somehow God's going to be impressed by us. Same thing here. Let's, let's make sure we're really trusting in the saving work of Christ. Let's make sure we're really holding to the teachings of God through his word. Why is this so important? Because truth is the antidote to lies. Truth is what will set you free. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The reason they were unsettled, the reason they were freaking out, is because they were believing lies. And the the way to respond to that is with truth, the truth of God's word. Truth conquers lies. Lies that bind us. And we believe all kinds of lies. People believe all kinds of lies about God. 
that God's out to get you. People believe lies that if I really gave everything to God, if I really surrendered my life to God, He's going to make me miserable. I'm glad I came to a church that preached and taught and exemplified that the best thing you can do is say, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. You know, it's funny because I don't know know if this continues today, but when I was a teenager, the thing that everybody seemed to think in the back of their mind was, if I give everything to God, if I fully surrender to God, you know what He's going to do? He's going to send me to Africa. Isn't that what everybody thinks? Did you ever think that? Is that just me? Maybe that was something weird about here. Maybe that was, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm not the only one. You know what's crazy about that 25 years later? You know the most joyful, most happy people I know? Pretty much are missionaries around the world. I'm looking at some of them right here, the Acocks. People that just have the joy of the Lord just like exuding from their lives. They spent their life on the mission field. And some of the ones I know are the happiest people are people in Africa. Isn't that crazy? It is a lie of Satan that if you give your life to God, he's, gonna, he's out to get you. I think Satan's won the battle on this sometimes when we think, man, don't want to give my life to God. If I do that, he's just, it's like God's up there looking like, oh, I got another one now. <laughs> I'm going to make them miserable. They just fully surrendered to me. Yo, God has joy that awaits for you. God has blessings that awaits for you. God has Man, rewards of innumerable blessings. I'm excited one day when we stand in heaven and we get to see people come up to Bobby Acock and his family that continue multi-generational, people from Brazil that are in heaven because he took the gospel to them. We've get, we just sent a girl a week and a half ago, Victoria Little, from our church, watched her go. Uh, we can't go watch her get on the plane anymore, so we watched her very sentimental. Go to the security line. It's not, not the same as it used to be, but we waved goodbye as she went to the security line to go off to the backside of Kenya for two years to do medical missions and to see people. And one day, people will be there. What greater reward? Don't believe the lie. Uh, that's really a digression. My main point here is that truth battles lies. And the truth of God, the truth of who God is, the truth of His Word will calm your heart, will solidify your heart, will give you the strength to stand fast. Don't just dismiss the truth. Now, by the way, truth hurts sometimes. It's like the older man who went to the doctor, and the doctor, look, he lectured him. He gave him what's what on this. He said, look, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. You need to get on a diet. You need to lose 35 pounds. You need to do this. You need to take this medicine. And so the man told his sons this, and a few months later, one of his sons said, so, Dad, what's going on? You know, have you followed the doctor's advice? Have you been back to see the doctor? What have you done? And he said, I'll tell you what I did. I changed doctors. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Truth hurts. Hold fast to the truth. Embrace the truth. When God's truth rubs us the wrong way, it's not God that needs to turn around, right? We're the one that needs to turn around and get on God's side. Thirdly, Not only do we rely on the saving work of Christ, not only do we hold fast to the teachings of God, but we depend on God for encouragement and hope. Depend on God for encouragement and hope. He says in verse 16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation 
and good hope through grace comfort your hearts. If you trust the gospel, if you know the truth, then be encouraged, be hopeful. What we're talking about here is really goes hand, all this grows out of the gospel. All of this grows out of your understanding of how you're saved because what we're talking about here is your ultimate reality, what's really real in your life, your ultimate hope, your ultimate joy. Where do you find that? What are you ultimately trusting in? What ultimately will satisfy you? What do you think it is that if you had it, you would be the complete person? And the Bible repeatedly tells us, and he tells us right here, that the place for that, the only place for that, everything else is a counterfeit. If you're looking for it anywhere but in Christ. Anywhere but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you, what really reveals your identity is when things go wrong in your life. When the bad times come. When the storms come and... It's very difficult, and it, it, doesn't, man, it doesn't so much make us into what we show everybody. It reveals what we are to everybody. Like when you're pressed, what's inside comes out. That's why every time we have a major stock market crash, right now everything's riding high, but you know what? One day, don't know when it'll be, we'll have a market correction. It may be 5%, maybe 10%, it may be 20%. Every time there's a huge market correction, You know what you see stories of or hear stories of? These stock market investors jumping out of buildings, taking their lives. Why? Because their life came crashing down in that stock market. What is it that if it was taken from you, you would say there's no hope in living anymore? You know what? For a believer, for a Christ follower... We should be so grounded in Christ, so grounded in His love and in His teaching, that yes, we're going to face difficult times, yes, we're going to experience sorrow, but we will not sorrow as those who have no hope. Because we have the hope of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. I found this illustration by the great theologian Charles Schultz. I think I've got it to show you. You know, he wrote Peanuts. Look, there's Linus and Lucy. Boy, look at it, rain. What if it floods the whole world? Fear. Linus, it'll never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. To which Lucy replies, you've taken a great load off my mind. To which Linus replies, sound theology has a way of doing that. When you know God, when you know who He really is, when you know how he, what He's really at and doing in this world, and the mission that he has to reach the world, and that you get to be part of that, and you give your life to that. There is joy, there is peace, there is stability, there is comfort. And you can face anything when you're trusting and finding your peace and joy in him. So we rely on his saving work for our lives. We hold fast to his truth, and then we find our joy in him. And then finally, he says, make good deeds and good words a part of the fabric of your life. Look what he says in verse 17. Comfort your heart and establish you in every good word and work. Now here's what's important about this. You just heard me railing a few minutes ago about how we don't build our lives on our good works. And that's still true. That's absolutely true. 
But it's also a lie of the devil that good works don't matter. It's also a lie of the devil that salvation is merely a ticket out of hell and that you can do whatever you want and there's freedom to sin. Paul says grace, where there was so much sin, grace abounded. So let's take that to its next logical conclusion. Let's sin so much more so grace can so much more abound. And Paul says, no way. Basically what he says. The Greek was meganoito, may it never be, God forbid. That's not the way it works. God has saved you to good works. He doesn't save you because of your good works. And man, if we get this mixed up in our heads, it will make for a miserable Christian life. But if we get this right in our heads and we build our foundation on the salvation that we have in Christ and we hold fast to the teaching that God has in his word and we find our joy and our comfort, our identity in Christ, then good works are going to start weaving their way into our lives. They should. We should be intentionally seeking how to become more like Christ, how to be more like him. You can't get around the fact. Sometimes I'll I'll go to one side about it waver towards, it's like we're on this road, this narrow road, and there's a ditch on both sides. And one way, it's this lie that, man, these good works are really something. Man, I really can get brownie points with God. Well, I, I, I really am somebody. And then you'll be like, no, no, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. So then you come over here and it's like, well, I can do whatever I want because Christ loves me. I'm not going to change how much he loves me. Man, you... <laughs> You are using truths, but for the wrong means in both ways. That's the ditch on both sides of the roads. The gospel is that, yes, Christ died for you. You stand before God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You live your life and you have your security in Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your hope for eternal salvation. But you can't get around the fact that over and over and over throughout the New Testament, it says that walk this way, walk in the light. You are the light, now go be the light. You are the salt of the earth, now go be the salt of the earth. You are different and a peculiar people, now go live it out. You have the changed life and glory of God in you. You have the spirit living in you, now go live it out. Paul keeps telling us who we are and what we need to do. And it's no different here. Make good deeds part of the fabric of your life. Look, right words and works are really habits of your life. Patterns build up over time. You change your habits, you'll change your life. There's even secular books starting to figure that out and starting to write some great things. They're writing about this, about how you can change little habits in your life. This is what God's been telling us for 2,000 years. Build your life on Him. Build your life around the Word of God. Build your life on the, the, the security you have in Him. And here's what happens. This is the key. It says, establish you in every good word and work. You is not the subject of the verb. Establish is the verb. You is the direct object. So who's the subject? Who's doing the establishing here? It's God. It's God in your life. And I feel like so many of us have bought into another lie of Satan that it's us and we wear ourselves out and we weary ourselves with guilt and burdens over and over and over because we think it's us who does the establishing when it's God who wants to work through you. Now, please understand me. The end result ends up being the same. The end result ends up, well, the same from our appearance, from what we see. The end result is that we see somebody who's active in the church and somebody who's active in serving the community and somebody who's bold in declaring their faith. But you know your heart. 
Is that a result of the grace of God working in your heart and you giving him the love that's just in response to his love? Or is that because Satan's beating you down saying, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough. If that's you today, you need to say, you know what, Satan? You're right. I will never be good enough, and I'm, but I'm, I'm not going to trust in the fact that I need to be good enough. I'm going to trust in the fact that Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. Here's the reality, my friends. The reality is that one day the news reports will be real. The reality is that the end of the world is at hand. And whether it happens in our lifetime by Christ coming for his church or whether it happens in our children or our grandchildren's lifetime, we can't get around the fact that either way we're going to stand before God one day. And the question is, are you ready? Here's how you're ready. You build your life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Rely on the saving work of Christ. Hold fast to the teachings, God's word, the unchanging word of God that never changes. Hold fast to that. Build your life on this solid foundation. Then find your hope and identity and peace in Christ. And then God will work in your life. And you'll start building up in you, establishing in you the works. And yes, you yield to that. And yes, there's part. Because if Paul, if it was all God and nothing from you, then Paul wouldn't say, go do it. Go walk in the light. There's obviously something on our end that says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Use me. Grow me. Draw me closer. If you will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. And you know what the world needs? It needs churches like Faith Church. It needs Christians like you that are so wrapped up in the gospel of Christ that you're not afraid what people say to you. You're not afraid of being the outcast at work. You're not afraid of being made fun of because you're so wrapped up in the salvation that comes through Christ. You're so wrapped up in the identity that you have in Christ. That's where it's at. This is where it's at. Are you ready?